Richfield Branch Library Podcast, a conversational podcast about what we at the Richfield Library are reading. But today we have a special episode and we are hosting two guests. And as you know, Christina, we are just a few weeks away from the end of summer, summer break. And so um, folks are going back to school. Actually, you're in school. We'll get to that in a minute. You're in school. Christina's in summer school. Um, and we'll get into that in a minute, but our guests follow the theme of sort of homecoming and and school and whatnot. So, well, okay, our theme, our, our guests are two former Shelvers students that were with us, yay, for what, three years, four years, something like that, I'll, we'll introduce you. <laughs> and um, And then they went off to school, they went off to college, and then they're so good, they come back and visit us. One's going into library school, that's all I'm gonna say. Christina, go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Christina, I worked at the Richfield Library for eight years, I believe, at least eight. And then um, before that, I worked at Fairlawn, where I started as a shelver when I was in high school, so I was thinking a lot about that as we were getting ready to have you guys and just, all of the weird shenanigans I got into with people, and <laughs> I was a, a I was a sh- I was a shelver <laughs> when our current IT director was also a shelver with me. So, <laughs> so that's really been fun to keep tabs and um, what else? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about how much I used to check out CDs. Just anything that I would shelve that looked even remotely interesting, I would just take home, like fill my tote bag with like twenty CDs at a time. And I found a ton of like old music, like Modest Mouse and the Cranberries, and, like all this Gen X music that my husband loves. So that's kind of fun because <laughs> I love yeah the Cranberries, Radiohead, Tom York's solo album, so good. But it's like weird, like music I could not connect with any of my high school peers about. They had no idea what I was talking about. And then when I'm dating Dan. And he was like, I can't believe you like this album. Like, I kind of can't either. <laughs> but super good. You guys right. made great music. Step aside, millennial. <laughs> this, this Gen X is about to speak about the cranberries. And <laughs> Don't tell me about the cranberries. <laughs> and the cardigans. And um, I also was a student... Uh, for years and years and years, and then um, PERS just has me. That's our retirement system. <laughs> Took eight months off to go to library school, and here I still sit. So let's introduce our former students. Um, who wants to go first? Who has the mic closer? Hi, so my name is Rachel, and I worked here at the Richfield Library in high school as a student shover for almost four years. And then since then, I went to the University of Cincinnati for social work. And when I was there, I worked in the Cincinnati libraries. And now I'm working in the Columbus libraries and about to start a master of library science. Got another one. In the fly trap. Pulled me in here and now I'm in it for life. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Megan. I was a shelver at the Richfield Library for a little over three years. And now I go to Kent State University um, where I'm majoring in architecture with a minor in sustainability. I probably won't go get my master's in libraries. Yeah, won't won't get me. But I loved working here, and it's still probably my favorite job I've ever had. So, yeah. 
What Megan doesn't know is that she um, will be designing libraries. Yeah, honestly, she doesn't I would know love that to yet. Design libraries. I still have so. like four years to work on her <laughs> to get to that point, but I can tell she's eroding away, and and I can tell that she will be designing specifically. Her specialty will be libraries. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to design libraries. See, and I like, told you. If architecture doesn't work out, then libraries as a solid well, no, backup. Yeah, but sustainability so. and all that. So yeah. you'll be perfect. Yeah, exactly. You you know what we need. Yeah. So why haven't you thought of that, <laughs> right, <laughs> Megan? <laughs> We're sitting down at the kitchen table. No, I'm joking. We we will. We, I, when we've talked about having you as guests, I was so curious about what you were reading, what did they have you read in, in school, and so I'm just curious, who, want, who wants to talk about what they're reading? Because Rachel, did you talk about, you wanted to go into social, the social work, you want to merge social work and librarianship, because that's super cool, that's a whole new, new field. Yes, that is exactly what I'm hoping to do, um, and the book that I brought with me today has a lot of overlap between the two. It's why I picked it out. It's called The Last Chance Library by Freya Sampson, and I just, I thought it was amazing. I had seen it floating around the shelves. I'd seen it get returned a couple of times, and I had glanced at it, and I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to pick it up and actually sit down and read it. And so it's about like this really shy woman named June, and she's working in the library, um, very small library, and she has a really emotional connection to the library. And I was like, wow, I immediately <laughs> relate to <laughs> this. <sounds> so familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like immediately drawn in by that. But then I started noticing all these things about it that were like overlapping, like what I learned in my Bachelor of Social Work. And I'm like, wow, these are great connections because like when I was working in Cincinnati, they were starting to uh, look for to hire a social worker there and I don't know um, what the conclusion of that was I think I left before they hired someone but I was like starting to see social workers come into the libraries and I was like this is amazing timing but yeah in this in this book um, we start learning about all these different patrons who come in and all the diverse reasons that they're going to the library um, like there was a homeschooled kid coming in t- for assignment materials and a teenager studying to get uh, university scholarships. But there's also, you know, adults that are coming in like um, new immigrants to the country. And this book is set in England, not in the United States, um, which has been like a weird theme in books I've been reading lately. I don't know. They all seem to be set in England for some reason. But that's not relevant. Um, and then there's like an older guy coming in who's using the computers to email his estranged son in the United oh. States. And right away we find out that like their council wants to shut the library down. Okay. So the book is all about how they're fighting to keep the library together. And I could keep going on and on and on, but I'm not sure how much I should say right off the bat. Well, is um, it fiction or nonfiction? It's a- it, is, it is a fiction oh, book. Oh, okay. It sounds nonfiction-y, but yeah. Yes. I mean, I can totally see it happening in real life, especially, and not to give any spoilers, um, but like, especially the way the ending goes down. I was like, this seems like a plausible way that the situation would end. And like, it's, I'm not going to say if it's good. I'm not going to say if it's bad, (laughs) Um, but it was not what I would have predicted from a fiction book because, you know, sometimes you sit down with it and you're just like, I think this book's going to have a happy ending or I think this book is going to be a heartbreaker. And I thought this book was kind of both and also just had like a really unexpected but positive ending. But yeah, there's 
uh, like so many good quotes in it that relate to social work. So do you want me to share a couple of those? Okay. So the first one that I really liked was how can you put a cost value on all the things the library provides? Literacy, social inclusion, encouraging a love of reading in the young. Do these things have a price? And I just was reading these quotes and I was like, they like they resonate with me, you know, and I'm like, it's so true. And this author phrases it better than I think I ever could. So, Christina, um, what was that art? You read an article. What was that one? The lady was trying to defend her oh, library. Yeah, it was a Zadie Smith essay, and she was talking about how th- there was a library and a bookstore. I guess that she liked to have book launches at, but it was like they were gonna. It, and she lives in London, and they were going to tear it down and put up condos. <laughs> I, I don't know. It might be based How off real life. I, yeah. I, I didn't look that up. But, I mean, yeah, there's some con- conspiracies happening in the book that I, I don't want to give away. But oh. sounds like it could be a very similar situation happening. Might be based off something like that. Well, and I think in these urban areas, especially, like, you know, this publicly held land has so much value. And it, you know... I, the councils seem to like think, oh yeah, you know, it just makes sense to cash in and not like grasping. It always had value and it's not yours really to sell. You know, like oh, yeah. you are a steward of this land. You're, it's not like, oh, I have that extra lot. I might as well sell it because it could get such a great price right now. Like that's just such a ridiculous mindset <laughs> for a government to take about privately, publicly held lands and just really not... We're just at a in a weird sort of low point of understanding like publicly held anything or like the idea of owning something together is just like <laughs> so foreign to us. And it, it is. I mean, yeah, like national parks and stuff. I mean, like this whole larger conversation we're having about. Sorry, <laughs> but it's just it is it is upsetting. Like, how did we forget you know this yeah. value of this stuff that we owned together, or even what the value was ever supposed to represent in the first place? I could go on, but yeah. I, <laughs> I know the UK is has been struggling to defend their libraries, and it's their how they're funded and structured, which is a little bit different than us. So, this probably does have roots. Very, it's probably loosely nonfiction fiction. It's the blurring of the lines. So, any other quotes or any? Oh yes. Oh, um, definitely. There was. One of the main characters said this, and when you read the book, I think that this quote becomes a lot more influential than it is when I just read it now, but I thought it was really good, so I still want to share it. Um, And the quote is, wherever I ended up and however much trouble I was in, there was always a library, a place that was safe and warm and dry where no one would judge me. Libraries were my only light in some very dark times. And I think like right back to what Christina was saying, the value of public spaces that you you can't put that money value on it's a safe space for people and how can you put a price on that and what else are you do you have any what else are you re, I'm, if you found that I, you, I want a book list can you just send me a book list of what you're reading to add I, I could I <laughs> I haven't read it yet the only similar thing on my to read list though and now I really wish I brought it with me because okay. I'm going to get the title wrong but um it is about a man who becomes a prison librarian. I haven't read it. I think it's an older book because I've seen it for like a long, long time floating around. 
Um, that's the only similar thing in my to-read list. Everything else I'm reading, to be honest, has been very, very different from this book. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of those books. Yeah. There was, oh, there's been a couple of the prison library books, which are very interesting. So um, we'll find it and we'll attach it in the um, notes to this, to this podcast. We'll get that to you. So let's go on to Megan to talk about um, the building of life. I mean, her architect <laughs> career. And um, what there's a really cool cover. I'm, I've been admiring, yes, the cover. So what are you reading? Um, so over the summer, I was part of a research project at Kent um, where we were trying to figure out how to make a jammed wall. And like the method of jamming is like kind of the use of you like you lay down string in like kind of a spiral shape and you fill it with rocks and then you continue that pattern until you have like the height you want and then string will hold the rocks in because of the tension that's created by the rocks filling it out. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, <laughs> but it works. Like I've done it like in my bedroom. Like it's it's really easy and it works. So. Um, in preparation, like as part of the research, my professor gave me this book. Um, it's called Things Fall Together, A Guide to the New Materials Revolution. Um, it's by Skylar Tibbetts. And it's kind of all about like how materials can be adapted and changed. Um, a lot of it has to do with the environment and the circumstances that you create. Um, so it's a lot about like you can't fight nature, but you can kind of work with it and bring out the aspects that you want to bring out and make it work for you. Like it's about like designing from the bottom up, building from the bottom up, kind of like a plant, like how it has its roots and it comes up from the ground and how that is how we should look at all design and like all like building of things. It talks a lot about like jelly robots kind of, not like there's a chapter about like morphable, like changeable robots, which like didn't really apply to my um, project, but I thought was really interesting and really weird. Cause what like, are they? <laughs> Please explain. Is it something I can have for a pet? Jelly <laughs> <laughs> like roll. What? Oh my gosh. Is it just me or does it kind of look like a like a tick? Like the bugs? <laughs> like a, like it, it's well, pink and blue just, and I'm it sure looks like a bug. Like bunnies and... It looks like, yeah, one of those anatomical models. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or like a jellyfish, or like um, a phone case. <laughs> it looks really fun. <laughs> so they are trying really to look cool. like some different living things. Yeah, like it's all going back to like being inspired by nature and using nature for you. Oh, and by like, mimicry. And yeah, it's like soft robots are more like adaptable and they're more smart because they're able to adapt like actively and change to their environment which is kind of like what we were trying to do with the, like the jamming. Like it's very adaptable. Um, like it's constantly changing. Like you can take it apart and have the string and the rocks and then reuse it. And yeah, it's a lot of um, like redefining what is considered to be smart material. Cause we think of like phones or like smart thermostats or like the smart home things, but it's really more like what can change, what can, f- like actively adapt, like what can work and problem solve like as it's going. And it's kind of like a really weird way to think about materials because like 
for example, like he used an example that a pen is a computer because it holds logic, which makes zero sense. But you push the button on the pen and it knows to, to retract or it knows to like put it out. My mind is blown. <laughs> and now I'm just looking at the pen I have in front of me. I'm like clicking it back and forth. Like, I don't know. Is it this a computer? Logic. It has logic. <laughs> but like, in the most basic sense, yes, it is because it holds logic and it's able to react like in a certain way. So it's, yeah, it's just really interesting. What? And it's one of the books, like you have to kind of go back and reread it. Cause you're like, what is like, what is happening? <laughs> but like, it's really interesting and it's really cool. And in like the terms of like design and building, it's really like, it's really good to read. So it was really fun. And at first I was kind of like, oh no, I have to read this, this book. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up like being really like kind of interested in like getting in depth with it. Cause it's just like, so like, you'd never think of this. <laughs> so I was, while you were speaking about like the phone, well, it just made me think, were you two talking? Cause your book, I don't want to oh, jump right. ahead, but your book yeah. and her book, you guys are on the same wavelength. And I think it's so funny, like sometimes how these conversations, like I'm reading a book that's just like that and we live 200 miles apart and somehow we're <laughs> on the same wavelength. So just about sustainability and, and design. And design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I have, I, you brought in the string, the string yeah. jamming project and it was yarn yeah. holding. It was, <laughs> if, if you didn't show it to me, I wouldn't have, think you could ever do it yeah in the book um they use like coconut husks to like kind of keep it like a hundred percent natural and like biodegradable um for my project yeah we use like um, a combination of fiberglass which isn't super biodegradable like environmentally friendly um we use twine and then like cotton yarn so it really can be done with like anything um it's very versatile, very sustainable. Oh, neat. Um, neat. They are load-bearing, too, like if they have pressure on it. The more pressure that's on it, the stronger it is. So <laughs> it's really fascinating. Her first it's library so will fun. be made of string. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the bearing walls of the books will just never have it fall down, ever. <laughs> I was going to say, it'll be under so much pressure. <laughs> I'd be afraid to have you build my library because if the books got checked out, I don't know, we might not have a home anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. That's wild. Do you want to go? Did you, anything else? Do you have another book for us? Um, yeah, I have, I have other books. Um, so while I was on vacation, I listened to A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. Um, yeah, complete opposite. Um, but... I listened to it, like the audiobook of it, because it had a full cast, um, which is, I love full cast audiobooks. Like, they're so immersive and they're so addictive. Like, I listened to it a day, maybe two. Um, but yeah, you really get into it, like, with everyone. But in the book, um, the main character is working on her senior capstone project, which she claims is, like, the use of media in, like, crime or something like that. Um, but really, she's trying to uncover the truth of a murder that happened in her town a couple years ago, where the girl was murdered, and then a couple days later, her boyfriend was found, um, apparently having killed himself with her blood under his nails and his phone in her pocket, or her phone in his pocket. 
which the police were like, oh yeah, okay, he did it. She's like, I don't think so. So, <laughs> so she spends the book trying to figure out what really happened. And she works with his brother too. So that kind of adds a little extra spice to it. Um, it was really successful, like really addictive. I loved it. Um, it's really popular right now on like Bookstagram and like BookTok and all those places. <laughs> um, and it kind of lives up to that hype. Um, I am hesitant to read the other books in the series though, because I feel like it wrapped up so well. And I feel like the author might just be continuing it because it's really popular. But like, I've heard good things about the new ones, but I'm kind of hesitant. So we'll see if I, if I get there. Don't know yet. <laughs> That's so funny. I've done that with TV shows lately where it'll be like the end of season. This season was so perfect. Mm-hmm. Like I'm almost mad that you're yeah. going to keep going. Like, like, no, don't give me more of this show. I love could <laughs> continue it. Like they wrapped it up really well. This like one thing they didn't actually like go into, but it was minor enough that I don't really need them to. So, right. Without spoiling anything. <laughs> yeah. Hacks on HBO. So, so good. Jean smart and a young woman who now I'm, I'm not, I can't think of her name, but it was so good. And it's, this was like the end of the second season and it totally felt like a finale and like a really good one, like a mm-hmm. super solid. I'm like, man, they just really nailed that. And then they're like, all right, season three will be back. I'm like what? <laughs> You're done. You're done. (laughs) It's infuriating. I'm like, you tied everything up so nice. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Prepare for the episode where I come in like, guys, this new season's so good. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I can go next. All right. um, So yeah, kind of with design, uh, I've... (laughs) very slowly slogging through things we could design for more than human-centered worlds. Um, So I'm getting my master's at Kent online um, for user experience design. And I think the contrarian in me was really drawn to the idea of like, let's poke holes in centering the user in design. (laughs) My immediate thought is like, okay, what could go wrong here? And it's like, oh, right, yeah, human-centered is maybe arrogant um and so far I mean okay if you guys can see in person I have an entire rainbow of bookmarks in only the introduction (laughs) (laughs) because it's one of those um he's a user experience design professor at a uh, school in in Canada like outside Seattle and it kind of it uses a lot of that art speak that's very, like, it's been a long time since I read, like, academic art writing, and it it's so tedious. I mean, it's, like, deliberately tedious. I feel like they're kind of trying to puff themselves up sometimes. Can we get an excerpt, an example of that? Oh, goodness. Yeah, what was some of the... They, like, they'll push words together that have no business being pushed together. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's so frustrating because every time you'll encounter it again... You have to go back and find, okay, how is he defining this weird word he made up? And almost worse is when he'll use words that already have a meaning, but he's using them in a different way. I think that would drive me nuts. Like what he was using the word biography to mean like a shared space of... (laughs) 
I, yeah, it was something it's like a, that you were saying. It's really a strange, or, or like, oh, I've tried, I should have written down the, what the good one was. Generally, though, it's a really interesting, I mean, it's, it is worth hanging in there for, especially if you are interested in design, because at least he is extremely precise with his language. So I do appreciate the precision. It's not totally just... Like, some, sometimes art speak can feel like someone wrote a normal thing and then sat down with a thesaurus and tried to vex you. <laughs> and But sometimes people are like, okay, you can tell he reads a lot, he uses big words, and so he feels that that's the most precise word. And so I, I at least, I, I feel like they're justifiable for the most part. It just, I really wish, I'm saying I wish a charismatic person would read it and give me a TED talk about it because <laughs> I I just it's so much work I think especially trying to cram it between textbooks which I getting back in the habit of reading textbooks has been teeth pulling so I I was like oh I have a couple of weeks where I don't have a textbook to read like this is a perfect time for this I'm just like why am I torturing myself <laughs> yeah this morning I was stocking the library goodreads and that was on one of the lists. Oh. And I remember seeing it and being like, that sounds really interesting to read about. So It is. I mean, I feel like I he, he sets up really good arguments about, like he was saying, okay, it's, it's not just decentering the human. It's about, it's like sharing the stage. You're not getting off of the stage. You're just letting other things on. Yeah. And that if you recognize, if you want to be accurate, you're always in the context of the environment that you're in. Mm -hmm. And so considering that in your design is just yeah. going to be better design. Oh yeah, 100%. So I'm totally on board with that. Also, I really like when he talks about, you know, essential to our humanity is the building and utilization of tools. And so thinking of design as being fundamentally human and humans as being fundamentally designers is kind of cool. Um, and also, like, the further design gets from the designer is when you start running into trouble. Like, if you're designing something for yourself to use, you're usually in the clear. The more you're designing products for other people, and especially other people with entirely different contexts, that's when you start really running into problems. If you're trying to scale it up, if you're trying to sell it globally, those are going to be where you're running into problems. So it's it's... It's a really good, I, I love philosophy and I love design, so I do love it. But um, yeah, it's certainly not something I would recommend to people that aren't used to reading philosophy or art books. <laughs> um, and then the other frustrating thing is I'm not very far in. I'm not far in to be fair, sir. <laughs> Ron. <laughs> um, <laughs> we know you're listening. But like some of his design firms, explorations into these topics are super interesting and contemplative, but I'm not sure that they totally are with the topics that he's talking about. Like, I don't know that that's really a great example of, like, so far he'll explain his art, and I'm like, okay, so he'll explain his topics, I'm like, okay, he'll explain the art, and I'm like, okay, and then he'll be like, here's how the art supports these topics, I'm like, hmm... That's a stretch. <laughs> I feel like that's a stretch. I feel like you're thinking about this while you're doing this, but that doesn't mean that there's a direct linear correlation. And that's actually something that always frustrated me in fine art. 
is it can get so abstract and disconnected. Again, context, like, I don't know. It's really been refreshing for user experience design to feed everything I learned in art school through a lens of like actually trying to make something for someone and practical and usable and accessible. Cause I feel like fine art tends to go the opposite way, like deliberately making it inaccessible and not for everyone and hard to understand and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just deliberately vexing. <laughs> so yeah, this is like a really interesting <laughs> thing to hear about for me. Cause I feel like human centered design is a phrase and a term that I've like hearing a lot in the last year or so. <laughs> and I don't know, that could just be cause like I listen to this podcast and I know that um, I've heard I've heard both of you guys mention it before, but it's like a really interesting term that stuck in my mind and just the human centered aspect of it. And for context, I know nothing about this. I have never researched this. I can be completely off base here. So I might say something and you can just be like, no, Rachel, and that's okay. Um, but like, yeah, like the human centered part stood out to me because I'm like, what is social work and libraries are both all about humans, people, and what we can do for them and help people um, just as a whole. And so lately when I've been going around places, I'm like, this is an interesting place. But then I'm like thinking about it in like a human centered aspect. And I'm like thinking about it in terms of accessibility. And I don't know if that's really what human centered design is about. It is. But okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, And I'm looking at like, like I go into a new restaurant, I see some art on the wall and I'm like, wow, I don't know what that is. And then someone tells me and I'm like, oh, I just don't have a connection with that. And maybe other people do. So that's fine. But, um, just because I've been hearing this term and thinking about it, it's a cool thing to hear you talk about reading more about. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to be like, like my first reaction was, well, what have we been doing that this is like an optional new thing? Like, what on earth were we designing for before? <laughs> like, we managed to mess up everything and we weren't even designing for ourselves. Like, what on earth? Maybe so, it's just the, the <laughs> new generation's noticing and they're like, all right, let's fix this, all guys. This stuff that was supposed to be for us isn't. So, yes, it should, on the one hand, yes, design for us. But also, like, he talks a lot about designing with. So, and that's something that human-centered design also talks about is, but in the context of designing with other people, so, like, designing with your end user more collaboratively. So he's trying to bring that idea into you're designing with the environment that you're in you're designing with animals and with nature and with materials and you know don't fight it don't try to make it something it's not you go you recognize this is what it is and let it be what it is and then you're able to recognize like this is what humans are this is what we're good at this is what we're not good at so I can do the stuff I'm good at and I can take a back seat and let nature do the nature part you know let let animals do the animal part and thinking of it more as a collaboration or like honestly with the pen like the pen is a computer the the pen is a collaborator the good luck writing without it you know like we used to have to go burn a stick and then you're writing scratching in the ground and (laughs) then you're like you can't take it with you and you know like all of this stuff is like it's a better collaborator so but you know you respect when it runs out of ink you got to get a new pen Anyway, so not to turn people off of that, but that's things we could design for more than human-centered worlds. Whew, is a lot. 
and as a counterpoint, the other book I'm reading when I'm like, I really don't have headspace to go decode language right now is Everything I Need I Get From You, How Fangirls Created the Internet as We Know It. And it has been so delightful. And she's also extremely well-researched, but it's super, super fun because she, like, she starts from her fandom with One Direction and then goes into all these different fandoms. So like she just talked about Bruce, like her mom loving Bruce Springsteen and, um, and people that love Kate Bush, but not just musicians, like other types of fans and also how like the internet, especially Internet 1.0 was very fandom based and it was so oh my goodness it made me so nostalgic for how the internet used to be like when I was in junior high and high school and like building blogs and playing with the html and just like feeling like so like specific and weird like it was you could just be specific and weird in a way that it has gotten so commercialized and it really was not that way initially it was like this nerd thing it was really so information-based. And so it is interesting to think about, yeah, how... Because I've been, like, watching videos on, like, Internet 3.0 and trying to, like, wrap Web3, my head around this nonsense and if I believe it or not. But I do feel like at a certain point we've commercialized everything to the extent where we're, we have to re- reject some of it. Because you just you cannot constantly be in consumer mode. It's exhausting. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so that's kind of exciting if we could carve back out some space and some time to like work on projects not for money <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and recognize our value as humans in a context of a larger world that also has value outside of how we could make money off of it. Sounds so nice. I want to live in that world. <laughs> how did we get here, guys? We need 2015 Tumblr to come back and save us. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. She's talking about Tumblr and how, like, yeah, how the light, how the language, and how the structure of these sites fed the the way that people interacted with them, but then how the interaction also impacted the design of the site. And so, like that weird dialogue that especially happened while everyone was finding their ground before everything kind of started calcifying. So, it's. I don't know. And, and and the role of women, frankly, in the internet that never gets talked about. And this whole idea that there aren't women on the internet. And it's like, nope, there are. And we've been there from the beginning. So stop. Don't keep erasing us from things. Like, we're on the earth. And we're in the virtual realm. We're everywhere. Let's take that, Reddit. <laughs> On that note, I don't know how to pick up this potato. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. With nuclear pliers or something. Uh, I, in honor of one of my, well, I try to find books in honor of our guests. So, Rachel, this one's for you. Okay. All right. So, I started reading The Dysfunctional Library. <laughs> Am I, I the dysfunction? Should I be scared? I love the title. And I was so afraid to order it because I had to get it from Search Ohio. And I was afraid that everyone downtown would see, like, Jennifer Stencil requested the dysfunctional library. So this was purely for, like, 
I'm inquisitive. I was curious. The, the title made me laugh. So pardon me, downtown Maine, and all of circulation, which is probably talking, and it went straight <laughs> up to the director. Everyone's Jen's, gossiping about Jen. <laughs> Jen thinks we work for a dysfunctional library, but it's the dysfunctional library, Challenges and Solutions to Workplace Relationships. It was actually published in 2017, so I'm like, oh, you have, you need like, the second edition right now because with COVID and everything like that, but it's by Joe Henry and um, <clears throat> there's two other authors I won't get into, but anyway, I'm only on chapter two because I just got it and uh, it talks about, you know, maybe we ourselves are dysfunctional and I didn't like that chapter at all, so I moved on. <laughs> I was like, nope, I'm not the problem. <laughs> Sounds like such a good book, though. I'm definitely going to add <laughs> See, that to my to-read list, though, because, like, you need I want to walk around library yeah. school with this. <laughs> I want to follow in Jen's footsteps. You know, I want to be a manager someday. I got to, you know, learn all about how to address all that dysfunction. There and... you go. Welcome to dysfunction. <laughs> the dysfunctional culture. I'm like, yeah, I want to read about the dysfunctional culture and toxic behaviors of staff is chapter four. Fun. So. <clears throat> Poor Communication is Chapter 6, and Difficulties with Cheat Teams is Chapter 9, and you have to wait till Chapter 10 to get, a, you know, leading away from library dysfunction. So she, they actually think there's, our, there's, there's solutions out there, and I just laugh. <laughs> there's no... No, there's not. It's, we're all going down the rabbit hole. I love how like social worky it sounds in the context of just library staff, though, because that's so specific, and I would never have ever guessed there would be a book addressing there that. You go. So. I was wondering, like, so you can use your emotional intelligence, and you can like um, psychoanalyze all the librarians that come through. <laughs> oh, you know, I already your... psychoanalyze all my coworkers. Of course. Oh golly! Of course. I can only <laughs> I want you to psychoanalyze me. I'm curious to know, like, that can be our next episode together. I just psychoanalyze you. I know my Myers Briggs. And... <laughs> you know, I know Myers Briggs, and I know my any any type or whatever, whatever that book was. So just how does you know? What is my dysfunction? I gotta know that. What col what color is my dysfunction? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so that one's for you, oh, Megan. I feel so bad. I don't have any dysfunctional for you. <laughs> I but I was reading. It's called the Urban Code, and um, but this is more like urban planning. But it's all about like observing the streetscape and how people interact with buildings and sidewalks and nature. And I love that he constantly uses the term street theater and that we are all actors and part, yeah, actors and we're also the audience. And um, this is by Annie Micolette. M-I-K, Micolette. So, um, and it, it was getting, um, like the reviews were bad because they were not bad, but they were saying like they only studied New York, and how come they can't, they didn't study any other location? I'm like this is all applicable. Like I can go out in the center of Richfield, mm -hmm. I mean, population yeah. four thousand, you know, and I could <laughs> I could probably figure out some of the stuff that is talked in here. But I just love like it references Jane Jacobs. It references White, who started Project for Public. PP, PPS, public, public spaces. Oh my gosh, I just slaughtered that. But he says, you know, where people, where people gravitate, there are people. His, philosophy, his sentiment was people gravitate where they feel comfortable and safe, and then it gra gravitate, you know, it's just like this pull. 
And so when you, you know you have a safe, good space when you attract people. And when there's no people, there's something wrong. So, so I tried to think of everything in this book that I would apply towards the library. Oh, you know, one of the fun things he talked about was like the importance of the shopping bag and how that's like marketing. Anyway, I just thought that was super cool. So people in New York love to walk around with shopping bags because it advertises where they've been. And, and so they, there's a lot of money that's put into the shopping bag to make it artful and cool and so everyone wants to just have the shopping bag and they could care probably care less what's in the bag but they want the shopping bag that's so funny to me I just saw um like this morning or yesterday I saw a video of someone like just online a video uh, of someone like taking a shopping bag and like carefully putting it inside of a clear plastic bag so they could like use their designer bag from they bought something at I don't know what store some fancy store and just used as a tote bag and be like look guys I shopped at I don't know the name of any designers to throw (laughs) in right there it was surely not H&M or (laughs) I don't know Chanel like you know one of those fancy ones and that's that explains that so (laughs) yeah my sister has shopping bags not even from like designers just like shopping bags like as decoration in her closet that's super cool oh my gosh that's a thing yeah so and then one that's really cool so I'm really enjoying this I'm almost done with it of course I I just I got it yesterday and I'm almost done so this one was really fun yeah I'm definitely gonna read that yeah oh it's urban yeah I I love love urban design I do too and like more of the human-centered design i found the perfect ones to recommend to our students yeah i wanted to minor in urban design but kent doesn't have that oh really (laughs) (laughs) didn't work out the one barrier that can't be overcome yeah Uh, well your master's you can get a master's yeah i can get a master's yeah you'll just keep going yeah so and then for fun for fun i'm i just picked up the book it's called fuzz um, it has to do when nature breaks the law. So it's by Mary Roach. And, you know, because just the, the parks are just in the news right now. People think nature is cuddly and it's not. So I just thought, <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought, well, these, you know, what are, the, what are the animals doing? What are the animals doing wrong that, you know, when they break the law. So it just seemed really funny. It's here to cleanse the palate. So I'm cleansing my palate. So that's one, that's like my two red pile. So that's so that's what I have today for this episode. I'm glad I, yeah, I nailed it with the students. <laughs> well, any final thoughts on your journey as you go back to school? Um, I don't know if it's too late for this, but I did have one other book I wanted to mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been reading through uh, the books that B.A. Paris has written, the psychological thrillers. Um, I read Behind Closed Doors a while ago, and then when I was like trying to get back in the swing of reading for fun after graduating this spring, I was like, all right, this seems like a good place to start. So I've been reading her books in the order they've been published. I think I missed one, but that's okay. Um, and to me, the one that really has stood out so far was The Dilemma. It's it's very different. All of her other books are suspenseful because, you know, there's a character that you can pick out as the bad guy. And it's like, there's something off with this, this person, this character, and you learn more about them. And you're like, all right, we figure out why they were this way. But um, to me, at the end of the day, it's like that the bad guy isn't necessarily relatable. It's suspenseful. It's a great book. We don't necessarily relate to it. And maybe that's why we like it, because it's a step away from real life. But this book to me was really different. 
there is no bad guy. Um, and it's still a psychological thriller. Um, like we're following along with the point of view of two characters and they're married and they have a couple of children. One of them is their daughter. Um, and they both know something terrible about their daughter. Um, and neither of them wants to tell the other one. They have like this really big party happening. Um, they don't want to ruin it for the other person. Both of them are in the mindset of like, let's have this one last happy memory before everything changes. And it's like a minute by minute account kind of of just a couple of days. Um, it's like a countdown to the climax of the of the plot. Um, but to me, it's like there's there's no bad guy. These the situations that their daughter is in that they know about, like it's 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 tragic and it's terrible but it's just realistic enough that you can picture yourself being in that situation and understanding why they're making the choices they are even if like you would like to think you wouldn't do that I don't know maybe you would because this is a terrible situation um and I don't know it's I think it's not often you read a psychological thriller that's like that so that's what I've been reading for for fun I'm adding that. I'm adding that to my list. Gosh darn it. I think I just got under 400 on Goodreads. (laughs) To my to-be-read pile. I don't know if it's that big. Well, this has been great. We have to have you come back again. But for timing purposes, I think we will sadly wrap up. And um, how about, Christina, you conclude the special. The Richfield Branch Library is a branch of the Akron Summit County Public Library. Our theme music is Examples by Ketza and is made available to us through a Creative Commons license on the Free Music Archive.